Hello and welcome to Cutting for the Bull in the Post Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben. As always, I'm hanging out with Mike. Hello. Claire. Hey. And Pete. Hey. Well, I'm still going to introduce him as a guest. This is going to be a thing. I'm just going to always do it. <laughs> Until I forget. This, I am special, so. <laughs> well, special something. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about Project Blue Book. We're going to go through a bit of history. Going to go through Heineck, Dr. Alan Heineck, who was the scientific advisor. The main man. I think 50s X Files. <laughs> this is pretty much what Project Blue Book is. It is yeah. the 50s X Files, except they're, they're not dealing with poltergeists or the Philadelphia experiment. No, more the UFO sort of part of it. Yeah, and, uh, and I'll go through some famous cases at the end. They did. Okay. Right, so listeners, right, thank you for listening. I'm going to read out a few names now, some notable places on the list. Many and varied places on the list. Telford. Telford's <laughs> there, yeah. San Bruno in California, Telford's our hometown. Minia in Egypt, Hanoi in Vietnam, Frankfurt and Maine in Germany, uh, Kofu in Japan, Zaga Zig in Egypt. I think I've seen that one before because it reminds me of Zig Zag. I love that yeah. name, though. That's yeah. a brilliant name. Zaga Zig. Zaga Zig. Where do you live? Zagazig. <laughs> you missed uh, that Burnley, Ben? Burnley's not Burnley. Burnley. Oh, shit. <laughs> Burnley. Oh, well, they're at the cup as well, fuck them. Uh, you're going down, we're going up. Love it. All right, turn up for the football. Shelton, Washington, is that? In the United States. Portugal, Missouri. Bengaluru in India, always there. Ever present Bengaluru in India. Yeah. Stone Mountain, Georgia, Tanta in Egypt, Cairo in Egypt. A lot of Egyptians this week. Have we been particularly Egyptian-y? I don't have covered uh, anything. No. Egyptian-y. Well, we've still got all your stuff in the museum. <laughs> Smithsonian, the bastards. <laughs> no, it's in the British Museum. Smithsonian never went to Egypt fast enough. We'd nicked it all already. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a pyramid if we could have got away with that, you know. Genuinely believe that. <laughs> La Paz in the plurinational state of Bolivia. Atlanta, Georgia, Guadalajara, Spain, Dexter, Missouri, Boardman, Oregon, Ashburn, Virginia, and Madrid, Spain is top. Thank you all for listening. It's much appreciated. Yeah. I'm assuming the Telford listeners aren't ourselves, are they? <laughs> I've not been listening to it, so... <laughs> No, I don't count as, like, I do listen back. I, I don't, I, I'm logged in, so it doesn't count me as a listener. Fair enough. Right, let's talk about Project Blue Book. And Project Blue Book was the code name for the systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the US Air Force. And it ran from March 1952 to its termination in on December 17th, 1969. Alleged termination, because I still don't think it went away. It's just called something else now. It's, and it is called something else now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's, they restarted yeah. it recently. Yeah. A tip on it. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, but that was this whole thing, which ran from you know, it's a good 1952 to 1969. Oh, it's a good run for a government agency. Good, yeah. good run for a government agency. And but it came from something called Project Sign originally. It was established in 1947. Mm. Only lasted a year until it was replaced by Project Grudge mm. in 1948. Now Project Sign was a bit more sort of liberal when it came to the old flying saucer thing. Oh, yeah. You know, they were like, well, we can't explain that, you know. It was a flying saucer. It was obviously <laughs> a flying saucer. However, 
Project Grudge, they didn't like that basically. Project Grudge was a lot more skeptical, so now nah, clearly that's uh, you've seen, seen something wrong, aren't you? They, they set out on a mission to disprove it and not give anything a chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, Hynek was actually on board for both of them as a scientific advisor, not the chief scientific advisor, but he was on the. He, he, was, was, on a, he was a complete skeptic, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. He was a complete skeptic. He, he he had no no belief in extraterrestrial whatsoever. He thought it was all a bunch of nonsense, basically. Who was he, this Hynek? He was an astronomer. He was a university teacher, wasn't he? He was a lecturer in a university. Was it a university or a college or? Yeah, I've got. I'm going to get into him shortly. Yeah. Ohio yeah. State. Ohio State. Because I want to get through um, Silent Grudge briefly because it's yeah, all it ties in. Roundup, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Project Blue Book in mind had two goals. One, determine if UFOs were a threat to national security. Could be Russian. Yeah. Yeah. The main other superpower to the US, yeah. Remember 1957, Sputnik was launched. Yeah. yeah. That's a missile gap straight away for the US because they can't do that. So Everyone forgets, yeah, the Soviets started um, the space race and they were winning. Well, they didn't realise, the Americans, they didn't realise that the Russians were capable of doing that yeah. until they did it. They're like, oh, shit. They've got ahead of us. Yeah. Ah, oh, crap. We, uh, we stole the wrong Nazis. <laughs> yeah, there's many things you can label at communism, but it's very effective at producing goods. And, and, yeah, let's face it. And know, they stole the right Nazis in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, in I mean, look at Russia. I mean, they, the First World War, they were completely backward, weren't they? No, they, they'd industrialised. I mean, they had a modern navy, their arses handed to them by the Chinese. Yeah, but a lot were peasants, weren't they? Well, yes, it was conscription, but they were struggling to give people guns and stuff. They'd had to modernise very rapidly. It was, it was still considered the, the most backward country in Europe. Oh, out the big three, yeah. The, well, the big six, yeah. you know, yeah. You know, within 20 years, they're a world superpower. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Beating the Americans into space. Into space. All down to Putin. Proto Putin. <laughs> He's been their president for about sixty years, and he. <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like, though, isn't it? Let's face it. I can't remember who was before him. Is he the president <laughs> or prime minister? He always oh, rotates every God eight years. God knows. Oh, no, he rotates every eight years. Is that what it does? He can only do it? two terms at a time, but he can run again. So him and his mate basically rotate. So Putin, eight years as president, stepped down to prime minister. His mate will come in as president. Obviously, they're always vote, voted in, quote, mm. air quotes. <laughs> but we all know who's really running the show. It's yeah. Putin. He's yeah. just... He always still attends all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't admire him. You know, well, you know, he knows where all the bodies are buried. He was head of the KGB. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're terrified, the Russians. Of course they are. Don't want that nasty communism breaking out. There's every chance that all the Red Army's going to come steaming across the West German border one day. That was their biggest fear in them days, wasn't it, really? The Russians, that was yeah. their biggest fear. They were a big bad guys. That was it, yeah, they were the only threat to it. Yeah. And also, the second point was to scientifically analyse UFO-related data. By the time Blue Book had ended, it collected 12,618 UFO reports and concluded that most of them were misidentifications of natural phenomena. Clouds, stars, the moon, swamp gas reflecting off Venus, that kind of thing. Or flights of formerly classified aircraft, which was the U-2, the U-2 spy plane. 
and the A12, which was the forerunner to the uh, SR71 Blackbird. Which, if you saw that, you'd think, "Well, that's not a fucking plane." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot. I think I think uh, on a personal note, later on in time, when you get the stealth bomber and the stealth fighter, the U, the, the B2 and the <laughs> F117, mm. which from the side would look exactly like flying saucers. Yeah. I think you can put down... Well, they're triangular in shape as well. Flying wing. Diamond in shape. Yeah. A flying wing and something that's a triangle. I think you can chalk up 99% of the UFO sightings over Nevada for 20 years to that. I think you can chalk up 99% of all UFO sightings as explainable. But, but it's that one percent. There is, there is, a, and it, do you know what? From their findings, it's more than one. It might be more than one percent. Yeah. It was seven hundred and one out of that twelve thousand six hundred and eighteen. Seven hundred and one reports were classified as unexplained, 3%. even after stringent analysis. Well, what's that? What percent is that? The thing. Well, twelve hundred. <laughs> oh yeah. Ask the guy that can barely do maths. Twelve hundred would be ten percent, wouldn't it? Yeah. So you're talking about eight, seven, eight percent. Six to six to eight. about eight percent. It's quite yeah. high, isn't it? Well, that's high. No. No, about seven percent. Yeah. But either way, seven percent of those reportings weren't identifiable. They were still left. With big question marks going, well, what the fuck was that then? Yeah. If it wasn't, it can't have been gas clouds, can't have been meteors, it can't have been this, that. The, what could it have been? That's that's, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. To be fair, yeah. In that seventeen years, well, seventeen years, yeah. Was it? Yeah, seventeen years, and you think how many they've reported on. It's not how many were, because <laughs> how many weren't reported to them? That's Do you it. know what I mean? Yeah. They wouldn't have had every single reported sighting no, a lot ever reported. in America yeah. in those 17 years, so there have been so many more yeah. unreported. Yeah. You could probably, even if you said 50% of those unreported, then you double that number to 1,500 yeah. suspected UFO, proper UFOs yeah. kind of thing in 17 years. And that's just in one country. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, everybody was seeing UFOs, especially in America. Hmm. Yeah, because it was the start of films and that, wasn't it? Drug culture as well. Yeah, that (laughs) as well. Hey, man, I've been seeing flying objects, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's go back to 1947, of course, the year of the Roswell crash. Yeah. Project Sign which was the first public UFO study, because they'd studied this before, remember? It wasn't public. Remember the Foo Fighters we did? Mm, yeah. We covered? World War Two bomber pilots seen, and German pilots seeing these strange balls of light chasing the aircraft home, both convinced there's some secret weapon the others got. Extremely so, fast as well. Yeah. When nothing was particularly faster than the technology that mm. they had and they were in themselves. There wasn't anything that was like... Ten times faster than them, was there? That no, fucking ball so, lightning. Ball lightning. It's always ball lightning <laughs> with you, like. But remember, you had Kenneth Arnold. Everyone know the, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, which really kick-started the modern explosion of, of UFO consciousness. Yes, but refresh our memories, yeah. please. Basically, Kenneth Arnold is a, a guy. He's a pilot. He's, he's oh. a private pilot. It's 1947. Yes. He's in the Colorado mountains and the Rockies. 
and he's looking for a downed plane. There's a reward to find this downed plane, and all these private pilots are taking that up. And he sees what he thinks are these seven objects in a V formation. He described them as skipping along like a stone across water. That's it. He calculated that comparatively to his speed, they were doing something like eight or nine hundred miles an hour, <laughs> which, you know, wasn't possible at the time. Yeah, 300 miles an hour was about limit, wasn't could it? Could have been then? diving seagulls. It, uh, it could have been. Seagulls. What it could have been. Fucking hell. Actually, it's free fall, isn't it, when they come down? Well, not, maybe not seagulls, but hawks. Terminal velocity of a. An unmaiden, an unmaiden sparrow, Mike. What is it? Does that mean European? European? I don't know that. <laughs> it's like 180 miles an hour or something, isn't it? Terminal velocity. You're a human body, not a. But, like, you've got things like. Is it Sparrow Hawk? Mm. that can dive down and they're like the they're fastest thing on earth aren't, yeah. aren't they or is it it's some form of yeah, bird of prey yeah. I can't think which one it is right now but yeah and they go to about 200 and something Yeah. so when you think there's no, there's no, there's no birds that can do that Mike sorry I, I, I'm debunking your fucking seagull faster thing. than the speed of sound well what you could be looking no, at is them seagulls go for chips no, well, actually, yeah good point was there chips anywhere in, no, yes. in the I don't, vicinity? I don't think so. <laughs> what you could be looking at is that Arnold was just got his maths wrong and it was actually just a flight of geese and the sun was reflecting off them weirdly, making yeah. them look as if they were bobbing up and down. Or it could have been an oasis. Yeah, a mirage. A mirage, yes. It could have been a mirage. It could have been uh, a mirage. It could have been like moisture in the air bouncing off the sun, etc., etc., body of water underneath. He said they were dish-shaped, or, or plate-shaped, he said. And the, the journalist changed that to saucer. And he changed the quote as well, as he said, it's like a saucer skipping across water, hence the name Flying, flying saucer. Saucers. Mm. And everybody in the 50s was seeing flying saucers. Mm. And they were a concern, because, hang on, we're the most powerful nation on Earth, speaking as the US. Why on earth are these things breaching our airspace and we don't know they're there? What's happening? Well, apart from a select few. Majestic 12 and Eisenhower. Well, Eisenhower, this is um, <laughs> 1947, so we haven't got to Eisenhower's uh, meeting with the alien jet. <laughs> the request to investigate these things was specifically initiated the request of a general, Nathan Tunning, who was, Twining, sorry, who was the Chief of Air Force Material Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Right, Patterson, of course, where there was a meeting with, with ETs as well. Mm. Holloman and Pat, right, Pat. Right, Patterson was then the home of all subsequent official US Air Force public investigations into UFOs. It's still, the guy who's doing that is the chief of the Air Force Logistics Command, basically. Yeah. So he's quite high up the ladder. Oh, God, yeah. Now, it was. Um, Officially inconclusive regarding the cause of the sightings with the US Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppet, who is also the first director of Project Blue Book, wrote that flying saucers were real and not made by either the US or the Soviet Union. Mm. Pretty big statement for a someone quite high up yeah. Air in Force the chain of command. Captain yeah. who's running the who's running the show. Yeah. That was subsequently rejected by General uh, Hoyt oh, Vandenberg. Of course it was. Uh, who's <laughs> US Air Force's chief of staff and he dismantled Project Sign. But a year later you end up with Grudge, Project Grudge nineteen forty eight, criticised as having a debunking mandate. In other words, 
stop giving these fucking liberals the damn UFOs and go out there and tell everyone it's just it's not commies not just that you've got to remember as well again that time how religious especially in America because they still are pretty religious aren't they in, mm. in America so anything spacey alieny talk is like no that doesn't exist God you know what I mean we are the only things that live kind of thing you well know didn't what they mean? explain them as demons they, don't they the far right the uh, evangelicals there's a yeah. certain percentage of them who believe in UFOs would say yeah, they're demonic. who think that they're either aliens or angels or demons would say mm. they're demonic but they're a bit of a lunatic fringe aren't they let's face it <laughs> <laughs> why do you say that I don't nah. think they're that much of a fringe anymore well either way yeah demons but so yeah it would bring certain aspects of society crashing down hmm if they just if all of a sudden aliens are really 1948 yeah people ain't chucking themselves out of windows though they may be you don't know but even then like the decision uh, made by the general kind of thing he's he would be a religious man he'd be like don't be talking nonsense kind of thing these people high up themselves would be like not believing it because they're like no Jesus God that's it yeah God so they'd be shutting it. it down anyway and like you say, the the, mass, the kind of mass panic it would create if it was ever got out into the main public. Yeah, of course. In nineteen in forty eight, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, you just had the Second World War. <laughs> yeah, you started to rebuild. War of the Worlds, then that coming to fruition. Mm. <laughs> You're demobilizing, reindustrializing. You've got all that going on, and the next thing you know, there's aliens. You'll contend with that as well. Yeah. Plus the damn Reds over the border of Europe. <laughs> now, Grudge right, concluded that all UFOs were natural phenomena or other misinterpretations. Although, in a massive contradiction, it also stated 23% of all the reports could not be explained. <laughs> That's even higher than the other one. Yeah. So we're burying your heads in the sand. I couldn't get yeah. figures for Grudge on how many reports there was, but... It's proto blue book and they're, they're in nineteen the late nineteen forties. We're probably looking sim- but these are only running for a year as well. Yeah. So certainly a few hundred, I'd say. And over twenty three percent, that's fucking unbelievable. It's burying your heads in the yeah. sand, isn't it? Yeah. But when we get to nineteen fifty one we get Blue Book Commission because several high ranking US Air Force generals are dissatisfied with the state of the Air Force's UFO investigations. And they dismantled Grudge and replaced it with Blue Book in March 1952. And Captain Ruppelt gets his job back. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and he officially coined the term UFO as he said that flying disc or flying saucer is not neutral enough. Yeah, it's not official sounding enough, is it? No. Well, you can't just go. I saw a flying saucer, and they go, actually, it was Venus. Yeah. It's an unidentified flying object. It's something in the sky. You don't know what it is. Mm. It's pretty simple, and obviously it's come to mean flying saucer, which wasn't his intent. So that's why they've changed it again. Now it's now UAP. That's right. It's not as catchy, is it? You'll never take off. And what's yeah. UAP? UAP? Unidentified aerial phenomenon. phenomena. God damn it! Yep. Don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah. <laughs> UFO did the job. Yeah, Absolutely. but like I say now, but UFO. The connotations are it's an alien, alien craft. craft. Well, it not should just mean that, that should it? You look up into the sky and you see an aeroplane going across. That's a UFO. Because to you, to yeah. you, you can't identify that bloody plane. So that is an under, unidentified flying object. To you, yeah, to you, 
So, I suppose UFO is a bit broad, maybe. Yeah. Whereas phenomenon, that one word in it makes it sound, oh, it's something strange. In the neighbourhood. neighbourhood. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? <laughs> There's no one going to finish that. <laughs> no, I was trying to think of something really, really Too clever. Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> to relate to us or something, but I couldn't. Well, <laughs> I still think the last movie was awesome. It was pretty good. What, the one with the girls? Yeah. No, God, no. Oh, oh the newest one. I've yeah. not seen it yet. Ah, very good. I'm looking forward to it. Most important thing Ruppelt did, though, right, is he actually streamlined the manner in which UFOs reported to and by military officials, because in them days you'd ring up the nearest army base or air force base. Mm. And say, I've just seen a, a UFO, or you call the police and report it, and they pass it on. Oh, there's too many chains there, and it's, it's going to get lost along the, yeah. the line, isn't it? So he streamlines that, and he hopes to hopefully then sort of alleviate the ridicule and stigma that he's uh, associated with UFO sightings, especially by uh, military personnel, military pilots. Mm. And they started computerising the data, which is pretty novel at this time. That's good, though, isn't it? Also shows what kind of a bit of a budget they have got if they've got a mm. computer. Mm. Probably he, took up a whole hanger. Probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and he created a standardised questionnaire for UFO witnesses. Mm. Now that's actually a really good thing. Waterboarding. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good thing because if you every single officer you're sending out to interview a witness has got the same questions to ask them mm. that you can get the information from and their questions I don't know what did it look like yeah what, what, what did what it look like what speed night? was it doing yeah, what time well, of yeah. night to build up a report correlate all the others yeah sightings and say right they're all saying the same thing that's another thing but it's all a simple template that the guy mm. asking the questions is familiar with and they these really simple questions as well well if everyone's asking different questions you could never match up the sightings probably no, could you so it makes it. sense and the perk of this is that when they were authorised to interview any and all military personnel who witnessed UFOs, they weren't required to follow the chain of command, which is fantastic. Let's have a chat about Hynek, because hmm. he's like the most famous character on this. He's overshadowed Ruppelt, sadly, in a little way. But that's not the thing is because he was the scientist, he's the one that's like, hey, I actually kind of believe this shit now. A wavering sceptic he described himself as at one point. Oh. Mm. I think it, you need a certain amount of scepticism, don't you? Well, I think he was a pronounced sceptic at the start. The guy's a scientist, isn't he? There's a natural explanation for all of this. Mm -hmm. If you always go in gun blazing kind of, oh, it's a UFO, it's a UFO. Mold it is an alien. The style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're gonna find it's a UFO. You're gonna you're gonna find things that yeah. You're gonna see things that you shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. Whereas if you go in as a skeptic, you're gonna try and take everything out of the equation first. Yeah. Instead of jumping straight onto oh it must be this, just like these, yeah. you see these Bigfoot hunters, <laughs> things like that. You get these ones that. And then a snap in a tree. Oh, it must be a squatch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely a squatch that was. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely a squatch. Yeah. And you see a little raccoon walk out. Yeah. Oh, it's a raccoon squatch. Yeah, told you. <laughs> Indeed. Just an example, though. Yes. Yeah. You have to have that scepticism, definitely. 
to be able to believe. And that's why they'd want him on board as well as a sceptical scientist. I mean, Ruppelt was actually, he wanted to be really impartial. He did fire three people who were either too sceptical or too much of a believer. So he fired three based on whether... Because he wants impartial people who are open to it, but not... Oh, I suppose they're on the fence. Mm. Best place to be. Ugh. Who better to get than a teacher? <laughs> a boring teacher. That's it. Now Careful. He, <laughs> uh, he joined Project Blue Book in 1952 and would remain with it until its demise in 1969. Uh, for him, it was a side gig as he continued to teach and to pursue other non-UFO research at Ohio State. In 1960, he moved to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, to chair his astronomy department. As before, Hynek's role was to review the reports of UFO sightings and determine whether there was a logical, astronomical explanation. Typically, that involved a lot of unglamorous paperwork, but now and then, and especially for a puzzling case, he had a chance to get out into the field. I suppose that's it, isn't it? He's the guy doing the boring shit. Like, was there a comet at that time in the sky? Was there an asteroid, uh, meteorite yeah. shower? Where that, was Venus at that time? And that's what they made the TV series with, essentially. When he used to go out onto the field, that's what they made the episodes with for the TV series, because each episode's based on one of his yeah. field expeditions. Although in that series, I'm just coming to the end of season one, he does see an alien floating in a tank and he steals an alien artefact from a, from a secret base. There is, not, there is a little bit yeah. of, um, what's the word? Artistic, Artistic flair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, but there is a I'm lot sure of some it, of the other storylines are there true. Is, like, there is yeah. base, truth-based yeah. information within it and I know it, it's, it's been made as a series for, and they have to sex it up a it's little bit. It's on the History Channel as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but the History Channel's hardly deserving of its name, is it? Oh, no. No, not nowadays. According to the History Channel, aliens are basically responsible for every single facet of human advancement <laughs> ever. <laughs> I watched one episode of that ancient, ancient alien show where they were saying that aliens met George Washington. I mean, it's like, come on, you're just pushing this out to everything now. I don't know, there has been reports of UFO sightings during sort of... Yeah, well, I think he was uh, Alexander the Great. Did he meet him as well? They Cave paintings of aliens. Yeah. Yeah, spacecraft and things like that, isn't there? So. It's more likely back then that they'd have been stars or the moon. You, know. you only have to look at Egyptian um, hieroglyphics. And there's so many kind of these pictures and that that you think, is that an alien spacecraft? There's yeah. a lot of that, isn't there? So The Egyptian stuff especially, because they had a very weird spirituality thing going didn't they mm. you know the whole dog-headed jackal-headed gods could just be funky space I mean, helmets it's very believable that that whole stargate thing is quite believable really when you wouldn't you wouldn't put ways. it past them would you you know you know eh, maybe they did have one wouldn't put it past them i watched the mummy loved it <laughs> <laughs> you know they were doing dabbling all sorts the egyptians Sky gods, necromancy, who can say? <laughs> when he did get into the field, this this is what changed his mind, because he's like, well, something he might never have learned from simply reading the files is how normal people who reported seeing UFOs tended to be. You know, to quote him, he said, the witnesses I interviewed could have been lying, could have been insane, or could have been hallucinating collectively, but I do not think so. 
he recorded in his 1977 book, The Hynek UFO Report. Mm -hmm. And that's basically where they got the information from the series from, I think, is from the books. And the, um, yeah, so it was all directly taken from his writings, wasn't it? They weren't back to sign a secrecy act or anything? Um, um, to an extent. He's a civilian. Yeah, but it's 1977, it's a lot long time after. after yeah. I'd say this information is all fairly recent. Most of this information has only come out recently since they've allowed all of their... Well, some of them, they didn't release a lot. No, but, but some, <coughs> they've released some things. And from what I gather, this is all fairly recent information to us. Although he was like, he released this book in 77... I think he's not doing when they release the book. He's only giving his opinion, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's pretty good, though, isn't it? He's the guy that was working on UFOs for years and he's wrote a book. That's, I'm what he's that's gonna, how Nick Pope's made a living. Yeah, I'm hoping he's going to put some <laughs> some nice ju juicy stuff juicy in there. Juicy information. Yeah, but he's only going to be telling you stuff he can tell you. Yeah. 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 The ones he got, we got a few of leaked to, we'll get through them in the end. You know, it's going to be some of the stuff that was reported at the time, because these things leaked to the press. Mm. Half the time, they're following up press reports. Mm. Mm. But he was against some ridicule that people who reported a UFO sighting often had to endure. And a quote from him saying here, that ridicule is not part of the scientific study and people should not be taught that it is. The steady flow of reports, often made in concert with reliable observers, raises questions of scientific obligation and responsibility. Totally agree, yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah, so he also came up with the scale of encounters. You know the old uh, close encounters of the third kind? Yeah. That's him. Came up with this, part of the study. You get a nocturnal light, which is lights in the sky. Daylight discs, UFOs seen in, in the daylight. Radar visual. Radar's always, I think, gives credence to any sighting, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. I think so, yeah. yeah. definitely. Then you get close encounters of the first kind, which is a visual sighting of less than 500 feet or 150 metres away. That's how closely you can pick out, uh, not as close as a close encounter of the second kind, where you can actually see, really see the detail and it will leave a physical effect or alleged so interference with the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, mm. your watch stopping as well, something like that. Animals reacting or a physiological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness. Oh, you might get physical traces on the ground. That's a close encounter with the first kind. Second, second kind. Okay. First is you just you just see, see something. Oh, right, okay. See it. Yeah, it's less than five hundred feet yeah. away. Yeah, so it's close encounter with the third kind. They probed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you see it. You see the alien in the third kind. You see. Yeah. You see this probe coming closer and closer <laughs> to you. Right? Oh shit! The fourth is abduction. That was extended after. Fifth is direct communication. Probing. <laughs> talking to them. Yeah, 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 talking to them, making, making conversation. And six is making whatever. sweet, sweet love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's procreation on that. Consensual now. <laughs> That's it, so. In 1969, it gets shut down to 17 years, 12,000 sightings, 701 of them are perfectly unexplainable, that aren't swamp gas. He was mocked, by the way, Hynek, for the swamp gas thing, because he kept on saying it all the time. Mm. Yeah. He was Venus with the he swamp gas. He gets mocked in a series for it as well. Yeah. Like. Why close it? Or allegedly close it? What, the blue books? Yeah, why close it? But did they? Well, that's the thing. Officially, well, they closed it. 
They met like you say. Yeah, but they, officially, they, they closed it, but probably just opened up something yeah. called something else, which hasn't been released to the public yet. Bound to have, because they haven't only just had a 40 year gap between having it. Can't, they can't have, surely not. Can't have had like such a big gap into this one. That's what we were on about earlier. Oh, well, they definitely replaced it with something else. They just kept it more secret. Men in Black. X-Files. Well, Men in Black, they are touched upon in the series. See, I've, already, I've watched the series, I've watched series one and two of the Project Blue Book, and there are Men in Black in it. And they become a lot. They become a lot more apparent in series two. Uh, and if it is taken from his memoirs of it or whatever it is, if it is genuine, then there was Men in Black <laughs> in them. That there really was these guys that were dressed in black all the way top to bottom, black bowler hat, very mysterious kind of sunglasses. Yeah, and really, really sketchy and dodgy. You don't know who they are, what, and they just kind of like lurk around watching you kind of, yeah, scary as fuck, really. I can believe that they send government agents out to talk to people who are probably dressed all in black and have black government cars. Whether or not they were some kind of extraterrestrial entity or government agent alien. Uh, Well, but apparently. Was going around doing it. But from all you can series, say from the series is there's a lot of artistic license in that. Completely, a lot this, of is artistic it. License. this is it. So whether it whether that is part of the truth or whether that is part of the artistic license, you know, who knows? You never said you saw aliens in goo. No, <laughs> no. But as you investigate things, you ruffle feathers amongst people that are slightly losing interest and also want it to go away again. Mm. And then you get NICAP civilian organisations who start looking into this. NICAP in America charges the US government with a UFO cover-up once it's taken to court. So you got all these 701, what, what are you hiding? And so the US government does the Condon Committee uh, in 1966, and they come to this bizarre conclusion there's actually nothing extraordinary about UFOs. Genuinely, this government mm. committee says, nah, yeah. further research wouldn't yield results. Secretary of the Air Force Robert C. Siemens uh, Jr. announced the closure of Blue Book um, that said that further funding can't be justified on the grounds of national security or science. Well, that might be their public face, might it? Well, of course that's their public face, yeah. because they carried on. This was just like, we're not going to investigate it publicly, maybe it openly. Was cost- yeah, maybe it was costing Even. too much having this, like, you know, this hotline, you know, alien hotline, as opposed to just keeping it to... RAF and... Maybe didn't like Mr. Hynek snooping. We're going around finding all them aliens in goo. Yeah. Well, if it was costing it, you know, if, if they've got their their own army and, you know, RAF noticing these things, don't need to listen to Joe Public, really, do they? Well, most of the sightings might be from Joe Public, you see. you got to listen to them, haven't you? I yeah, think officially, a lot of them were paid silent. Officially, they wanted to say... We're scrapping it. We don't, you know, there's no. We're not interested anymore. Yeah. Mm. Well, secretly, I think. Well, do we know they well, kept going? We don't know they kept going. We know we don't know if they, officially, as far as anybody knows, the U.S. government never investigated UFOs from 1969 until recently. Until the early 90s, wasn't that that Harry Reid 
in the nineties, didn't he investigate it? Oh yeah, but officially investigate it, publicly, openly investigate it until they form the new one. Recently. Ah, got you. So here's a thought. Maybe it was closed down because by that point they knew there was no worry because they'd had like meetings with Eisenhower ah. and things like that. And then they'd been meetings later it. on and then they had come up with this treaty perhaps with the allowance of people being abducted and things like that. Yeah, 400 a year. So now these people in these higher up places have been have been kind of like nudged and gone you know we, we, we do know about all this you know what they met with the president didn't they yeah 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 oh yeah there's no need for it anymore <laughs> it's a fucking waste of money fuck it we're getting like, we're getting attack you know what I mean so maybe that's why it was dropped at 1969 because they thought they knew wholeheartedly that well we don't worry about this because yeah there are spaceships coming and going they're the greys Taking all the people, or you might get the odd of these Nordic kind of guys, these big, friendly, super blonde, blue-eyed giant <laughs> kind of people. Yeah, don't worry about them. So fuck it. Maybe there's something to do with that then, if there was truth in that. Maybe it's a possibility, isn't it? But then what happens when nowadays everybody has a camera? Yeah. You know, and if you've got people seeing these things offshore, where the U.S. Navy are dancing around. All this stuff, this gun camera footage get released. That wasn't officially released at first. Someone got that out. It was leaked, wasn't it? It was leaked. You've got to do something then, haven't you? Because you've got a problem. Because all of a sudden, these things are buzzing your ships and you don't know what they are. So what's that? I've not seen that. Oh, God, it comes from, the footage comes from, like, 2001, doesn't it? 2012-ish. Mm. I can't remember the top of my head. Within the last 20 years. Yeah, and it's, it's gun camera footage of, of Navy pilots who are on their big American carrier groups mm. and they're getting buzzed by these little flying Tic Tacs and these lights that are dancing around. They can't catch them. They're doing these incredible 3,000 miles an hour and turning rapidly, stuff that a human... Had, and they're trying to chase these things off and the gun cameras are tracking them all. They're just showing them dancing around. Mm. Not seen that. Yeah, it's crazy, and the US, the US Navy then has to say, well, all right, we'll start looking into it again. Mm. It's like Louis Elizondo, wasn't it? Mm. Released it. Maybe Sorry. it's on a need to know basis. You know, the people that need to know know about it. Mm. So, I mean, that is the history of Project Blue Book. So, let's go into some of the famous cases. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, a couple of them we've covered already. So I'm not going to like go into massive detail. We've done it on a podcast before in the past. The Washington DC sightings was quite a recent one in 1952. The great saucer flap over Washington, picking these things up on radar. Jet pilots are chasing them but can't catch them. Mm. Now you don't see many radar sightings, and the obvious reason for that is because if they're technologically advanced enough to get here. They're technolo technologically advanced, I can't fucking say that word, mm. enough to have radar bouncing bloody shields like like we have well, on our stealth we to invent like, be cloaked. Of course, yeah. yeah. We need to invent gradar. <laughs> For the greys. Yeah. But you know what I mean though, so well, was our radar is barely ever going to pick them up, you'd assume, just because of that. Apparently not. Apparently there's you know, military and civil air reports have picked these things up yeah. on radar, dancing all over the screen. Yeah, we've done one about it, haven't we? Yeah. There's a theory 
the reason they crash is something to do with our radio waves actually fucks up their flying thing. Right. <coughs> Which I suppose would then. be quite hard to anticipate that, wouldn't it, I guess? Because, but then... As long as you can have all the technology in the world, but if you never encountered someone using like radar, radio waves or whatever, like or that, then so maybe, you, maybe it interferes with something. Yeah. yeah. Who mm-hmm. knows? But the, yeah, the Washington saucer flap, I think, is actually a really credible one. Lots of witnesses, military pilots. Blue yeah. Book investigated that. They can go back and listen to our podcast on that. Yeah. What did Blue Book say? Blue Book was unexplained. Unexplained. Yeah. Although they did say Venus, didn't they, actually? They said Venus, but they couldn't explain the radar sightings. Mm-hmm. The Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Owls. Which well, one was that? Basically, there's this family in Hopkinsville. Hillbilly family. Live in the woods. Just because some of them were carnies doesn't mean that they were These the ones with the aliens. <laughs> the little goblins that besieged them all night. And they night. shot up. And they shot them yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was also an episode they did. They went and interviewed the guy on that. That was an episode on Project Blue Book. Was he pissed up on Moonshine? No. Because they weren't in real life. They weren't in real life. They found no evidence of alcohol on the scene. Yeah. And there was no alien bodies. They all had elevated no bodies as well when they were telling the story, suggesting they believed at least they thought what was happening. These little silver goblins look identical to little silver owls that live there. No, not sil- not little silver owls. These things are fucking huge, but they're getting shot at. And I'm sorry, the amount of shot they put into the air, they a bit something. Yeah. Well, they were about a shotgun. He was buying buckshot. That'd bring an owl down. There may well have been blood traces around that they just didn't find with the technology in them days. They wouldn't have had the ability to find or maybe even the know-how to find traces of blood. Can you imagine nowadays, they'd easily find traces of blood. They'd have looking black lights all over the place and all sorts of different things that you could find traces of blood. And So... You, you don't know, do you? Well, they said that when they they hit them, they did. They said they did hit them with a rifle round. It was like a water hitting a, a pail of water. So yeah. a bullet hitting the pail of water, and then the alien sprang back and scampered back into the bushes. So it didn't actually damage them. It no. just hit them, and obviously whatever armor or whatever it is they've got, technological whatever, magic. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of force field or something, perhaps. Yeah, Maybe just knows? made them kind of wobble off. Or... So there's the Kaiokazil, which I love. The Kaiokazil encounter—it's one of my favourites. Mm. I think there's something that's a weird because those aliens have never been encountered again. They've never been reported again by anybody. We're not going back. We only wanted to give them some super tech technology. <laughs> they fucking try to kill us and not us. Ain't going back there again. <laughs> Maybe surrounding their house at night wasn't the best way to make strategy. <laughs> it wasn't the best strategy. Right, when we go with that, no, that next planet, just just say hello instead. <laughs> <laughs> Threateningly hanging around as the elves look at the windows. He's terrified me as a kid when I read that story. <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill were investigated by Project Blue Book. Which sighting was that they were the first people who claimed who hit it big with abduction in America first recorded case of abduction in America the one that made it big anyway used to say people were being abducted before that so as the Eisenhower had his way mm. but you know they were medically examined they were under hypnosis they revealed it all there was some physical evidence 
found little chips and things like that in people, didn't they? Uh, alien implant is a bit Apparently. of an, an odd one, yeah. They're not in this scenario, in Betty and Barney yeah. Hill, but... Again, we're doing an episode on that, so I'm not going to do too deep into that. It was a two-parter, I believe. We'll mm. go back down our feed and check that out. Mm. Let's move on to some others that they've investigated. Military, these in, in particular. In late September 52, only months after a rash of flying saucer sightings over Washington, D.C., made headlines around the world, dozens of military officers participating in NATO exercises in the North Atlantic were struck by their own UFO fever. Exercise main brace was the largest peacetime military exercise since World War II, and the war game style manoeuvres simulated NATO's response to a mock attack on Europe, presumably by the Soviet Union, of course. <laughs> I'm going to say it is, but presumably. <laughs> it's an enemy in the North Sea, anyway. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> the main brace operation involved 200 ships, 1,000 planes, and 80,000 soldiers from multiple NATO countries, including large deployments from the United States and the United Kingdom. In a year dominated by news of UFO sightings, Pentagon officials half-joked with naval intelligence that they should keep an eye out for aliens during the NATO exercise, said Edward Ruppelt, the US Air Force captain in charge of the top-secret Project Blue Book UFO investigations. As it turns out, they weren't that far off the base. No one really expected the UFOs to show up, Ruppelt wrote in his 1956 book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, once again, the UFOs were their old unpredictable selves. They were there. The first main brace encounter came on September 13th when the captain and crew of a Danish destroyer spotted a triangular-shaped object moving through the night sky at alarming speeds. The unidentified craft emitted a blue glow and was estimated by Lieutenant Commander Schmidt Jensen to be travelling upward of 900 miles an hour. Lieutenant. Flock of geese. Oh yes, alright, he's Danish, he's a lieutenant. I can't not say lieutenant, it's habit. (laughs) On September 20th, an American newspaper reporter named Wallace Litwin was aboard the USS Franklin D. Roosevelt, an aircraft carrier participating in the main brace exercises, when he saw a commotion on deck. Several pilots and flight crew members pointing at a silver sphere in the sky that appeared to be following the fleet. Litwin quickly shot four colour photos of the round object, which he assumed was a weather balloon. That's what I was going to say, yeah. It's always a weather balloon with you people. It's never the aliens. (laughs) Rubelt and the Project Blue Book team followed up with the Navy and interviewed members on the flight deck crew. Some dismissed it as a weather balloon, while others had their doubts. It was travelling too fast, and although it resembled a balloon in some ways, wrote Ruppelt, and it was far from being identical to the hundreds of balloons that the crew had seen the aerologists launch. That's an interesting one, trained naval personnel. Ball lightning, isn't it? It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> Circular, moved, random speeds. Buzz in the ships. Why are these trained military personnel being taken in by ball lightning then? Well, the meteorologists who were, who were literally on every ship. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought that would fool them, to be honest. It's quite rare, maybe they've never seen it. They'd be told about it, they'd know about it, wouldn't they? You'd have thought so. Someone on these big ships, out of the 8,000 people on these exercises, would have been in the know of that kind of stuff. What about ball lightning reflecting off swamp gas? <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possibility. 
<laughs> well, they've just still been, this is 19, what was it, 1952, 1954, did that say then, sorry? Operation Mainbrace. Yeah. Mm. All them big diesel chugging destroyers, battleships, because you've still got battleships at this point. Uh, HMS Vanguard was there, Britain's own last battleship was there. The most modern one we built, it was a big deal this exercise and you got these trained personnel on these viable ships, big, big expensive ships, seeing things in the sky. What did Playbook say unexplained? Yeah. There is a possibility that they're, you know, they have just got UFO fever and like, you know, everyone's reporting them, they went, so every little thing's a UFO because they want to be, you know. That's Multiple witnesses though, isn't it? It is. And if you, those guys on these ships, you know, on the flight deck especially, they're trained to recognise aircraft. Mm. Is that one of ours coming into land or is what? Is it the Japanese again? Is it the Japanese again? Doesn't look, no. like, doesn't look like the jizz of one of ours. <laughs> doesn't look like the jizz? Yeah, I've told you this before. The outline of the ship is called the jizz, isn't it? The outline of the, yeah, the plane. Well, it's for birds, I assume. I thought it was the jib. The jizz. Yes. It's for birds anyway, I assume it's the same. See, see if you see the outline of a, a duck or something, like, it's the jizz of the duck. Never heard that. Neither have I. Mm. It's not it's not just a duck, it's a, it can be any bird, can't it? Yeah. I assume it goes the same for planes as well. Jizz. No, it's just an outline. I had to identify outlines of stuff when I was in the reserves. That sucked. Tanks all look very broadly similar. Yeah. Next one then, please. The Lubbock Lights, 1951 in August, August 25, 25th, 1951, was a quiet somewhere in Lubbock, Texas that evening. A handful of scientists from Texas Technical College were hanging out in the backyard of geology professor Dr. W.I. Robinson, drinking tea and chatting about micrometeorites, as you do. Oh, wouldn't you just love to be there? <laughs> hanging out with chemical engineering professor oh. Dr. A.G. Oberg, Physics Professor Dr. George and Dr. W. L. Drucker, Head of the Petroleum Engineering Sounds Department. Right, right, it? Imagine it the party they would throw. <laughs> oh, mate, that would be ace, wouldn't it? <laughs> it I bet it was a proper, it was also a proper little, bit. they had a little flag on the thing that said Brain Trust on it. <laughs> Technically, that's not a micrometeorite. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which made the story of what they witnessed that night all the more curious. So these are all doctors and professors hanging out, drinking tea and having their little brain trust meeting about micrometeorites. Someone's going to spike the tea. Yeah, that is a possibility. <laughs> Ruppelt wrote in his book, If a group had been, been hand-picked to observe a UFO, we couldn't have picked a more technically qualified group of people. Well, I suppose you can't. What were they, they're then? literal scientists. Drinking tea. <laughs> mm. So a chemical engineering professor, a physics professor, and head of petroleum engineering. It's not bad. No. Around 9.20pm, the university colleagues saw something otherworldly in the expansive Texas sky. A V-shaped formation of 15 to 30 bluish-green lights passing overhead. Stunned, but still using their trained scientific reasoning, they figured the lights would reappear, and they did, about an hour later in a more haphazard formation. The scientists were in agreement they had witnessed something fantastic, but what was it? They were the only credible witnesses to the mysterious blue-green lights that night. At dusk in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about 350 miles away from Lubbock, an employee of the Atomic Energy Commission's 
top secret Sandia Corporation, a man with high level Q clearance had been sitting outside with his wife. According to Ruppelt, they were both gazing at the night sky, commenting on how beautiful it was, when both of them were startled at the sight of a huge airplane flying swiftly and silently over their home. On the aft edge of the wings were six to eight pairs of soft, glowing, bluish lights. An hour or so later, according to a retired ranger from Lubbock, his wife had seen something terrified in this way, and Ruppelt described it in the night sky, and Ruppelt described it in this way. Just after dark, his wife had gone outdoors to take some sheets off the clothesline. He was inside reading the paper. Suddenly his wife had rushed in the house, as white as the sheets she was carrying. The reason his wife was so upset was that she had seen a large object glide swiftly and silently over the house. She said it like an airplane without a body, and on the back edge of the wing were pairs of glowing bluish lights. By the time Ruppelt flew into Lubbock to investigate the sightings in late September, hundreds of residents had seen the lights over a period of two weeks. Mm -hmm. That'd be well freaky, wouldn't it? Just something silently glided over. Yeah. You'd be like, Aah. yeah. Brown trousers time. I'll ask the question now. Has anyone here seen anything they think is? I have suspicious UFO because that sounds very familiar to me. That does. I've never seen anything, and I'm, I'm I want to see one, and I will never, I will, ne will never see one. What was your experience, Mike? I was about twelve, eleven, twelve, something like that. I was playing on my computer, in my bedroom. I stood up. I looked out the window. It was dusk. It was like a purple shape, sort of hovering over the trees, and then in a split second, it just shot up. What shape was it? Like I, I wouldn't like to say. Probably oval, maybe. Mm. It wasn't very well defined. It was just like a blur. It just went. Well, now, was it a figment of my imagination? I've been playing on, on the computer game for like ten hours. You know, mm. was my brain seeing things? Maybe I, I don't Sounds know. Sounds like flight of the navigator to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that does match up actually. Cause when we, the approximate time you reckoned you had in the date, Shropshire was actually seeing a lot of UFO activity. So there is yeah. some coincidence to that, possibly. What about yourself, Claire? No. Never? No. See, I, I, me and a, must have been close to a dozen of us were in a field very dark, a good mile away from any unnatural light, and it was pitch black, beautifully clear sky. We all lied down on this field, middle of summer, 11, 12 o'clock at night kind of thing, did you say this the other week? <laughs> I was telling you about this, but not not on, on, not on here, obviously. Yeah. But this is just my experience. And we all lied down, heads touching, kind of in a circle, looking up at the sky, just seeing what if we could see any shooting stars or anything. That's what we used to do. Was a bit drunk, having a, having a fag, whatever, you know. And, and yeah, we all of us saw this large, triangular, diamond, maybe, shape just go over us and it went over us fast enough for us to think what the bloody hell was that except none of us heard it but we could see it clearly mm. but it was silent and there the was a black triangle essentially yes but it's it was 71 isn't it nah nah black it, was, it was pitch black mate and this thing yeah. was big in, but this thing was big enough we're lying on the floor and say you make your hands into a diamond and you hold that above your head and you, you look at that kind of size. So something that big, to be able to see that size, 
is close enough we'd have heard any kind of engine yeah but the uh, things that uh, back engineered alien tech well but it was it was the main, mainly like the allegedly. outline of the lights that we could see like these two sets of lights like almost like on either side like that maybe eight lights running down I can't remember what colour they were we're talking 25 years ago now but they were coloured lights and we lived right next to a, a huge airbase so all of us were very used to seeing aircraft all of the time yeah, and yeah. none of us have ever seen anything like that so for it to have been travelling the speed it was travelling it was either really, really, really big and so far away we couldn't hear the engines and travelling a couple of thousand miles an hour maybe. Do you know what I mean? If it was that far away. Yeah. But it would have to be the size of a couple of football pitches for us to have seen it as big as we saw it. Yeah, I get what you mean. Or yeah. it was a smaller aircraft that was flying only a couple of hundred feet above us. But why was there no noise? And this thing was travelling, say... A tornado, ADV, IDS, was going over at the same kind of height. It was that kind of speed. Right. Full chaps. But, mate... Nothing. Deafen you. We heard nothing. Not a sound. It was deadly silent. That was why we were all like, what on earth was that? And all of us saw it. We were all looking up and it went right above us. And, like I say, we all had, we all ex had good experience with lots of different aircraft test aircraft that weren't on the market kind of thing because that's where I lived but yeah unexplainable to us mm. can't argue with that could be that, that I mean there's the TR-71 Black Manta thing that certain UFO people claim we've got which is back engineered alien tech big black silent triangle but that certainly the story you've just spoken yeah. about reminds me of that definitely yeah. like a a black triangular kind of object silently going yeah, over at absolutely. quite a good speed. It, it sounds very familiar to me. So, hence why I mm. felt to share that little <laughs> yeah, snippet with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next one. This is going back to the early days. This is Project Grudge. I included this because it has a little bit of sentimentality for me in it. Okay. Because this was the first ever UFO story I ever read. I bought a book from a disco bookstore about UFOs, you know, the type in uptown. Yeah. It was called World Famous UFOs, and this was the first story in it. Uh -huh. And this is what gripped you. This is what made me read more. I think it was X-Files that introduced me to the whole alien things. Yeah, uh, pretty much. War of the Worlds for me. Loved that film. I have seen more of the world, yes. I've never seen the original. The, ori the original, yeah, the original as well. Mm. I like the original, I must admit. I like all versions of it. All I don't versions. mind the Tom Cruise one, apart from the annoying children. <laughs> they are annoying. He did a good job, though. He did. He carried that film. Yeah, he did. So this is what happened when a P-51 Mustang chased a UFO over Kentucky in 1948. It's a cold afternoon in early January 1948, and control operators at Godman Army Airfield... U.S. Air Force wasn't a thing at this point. It was the Army Air Force. Oh, was it? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah 1948. In Fort Knox, Kentucky, where they keep the gold, became aware of the presence of a mysterious object floating in the skies of the base. Reports from nearby highway patrol officers who also saw the UFO were enough to prove to the controllers that they weren't just seeing things. So you've got eyewitness testimony 
backing up radar operators yeah. at this point. Around the same time, the UFO sightings, a four-ship flight of F-51 Mustangs, led by Captain Thomas Lantella of the Kentucky Air National Guard, were on their way to Godman. Lantell was a decorated former Army Air Corps transport pilot with combat time during D-Day in 1944. And he was notified by the control tower about the UFO and was soon ordered to fly over and identify the peculiar floating object. Three of the four Mustangs in the flight banked towards the UFO, while one returned to base thanks to a low fuel readout. Oh, I'm chasing that fucking thing. <laughs> you know, oh, boss, my fuel's running my down. Fuel's got out. You know when you said Mustangs? Yeah. I thought you meant the fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you think the US had flying Mustangs? No, I didn't know they flew at first. <laughs> we were chasing on the ground. Bang, bang. <laughs> cheeky, cheeky, bang, bang, Mustangs. There's only one, there's only one way to chase this UFO, muscle, American muscle car. <laughs> then an eagle screeches overhead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Mustangs uh, were a thing in 48. No, I was having the first Mustang. Oh, I'm right out of the hollow. <laughs> <laughs> Within minutes, the situation began to worsen considerably. One F 51 pilot had to break off the pursuit due to low oxygen levels. The second remaining F 51 pilot in the flight was also unable to continue the chase, ending his run at 22,500 feet before returning to base. Mantel doggedly carried onwards, punching through the clouds. Controllers attempted to communicate with a 25-year-old fighter pilot, but to no avail. Mantel's Mustang was last seen in a death spiral, dropping from the clouds like a rock until it impacted Earth, shattering into pieces. The young captain was killed on impact, and his wristwatch stopped at precisely the time of his demise. The Air Force's investigation into the incident was immediate. The UFO had disappeared and a fighter pilot had been killed. And the general public was already frenzied at the prospect of malignant extraterrestrials and other worlds attacking the one they lived in. Don't want to hear this. <laughs> Initially, investigators theorised that Mantel was killed trying to reach the planet Venus. Oh, <laughs> shit. As crazy as that sounds, the theory held some weight. F-51 pilots had been fooled into thinking the planet Venus, which is unusually bright in the night sky at that time of year, was a UFO and given chase just weeks prior to the Mantel huh. incident. Though this was the official explanation after Mantel's crash, astronomers at the Ohio State University disproved this hypothesis in the years after, as the sky was still too bright and hazy in the day, for Venus to be clearly observed and followed by the four F-51s of the Kentucky Air Guard. A second more plausible theory was put forward that Mantel may have actually been pursuing a Navy Skyhook weather balloon. At the time, the Skyhook was part of a highly classified observation program, which neither Mantel and his fellow pilots, nor the Godman Airfield would have been read into. I say yeah. bollocks on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, no, they ain't chasing no weather balloon because that weather balloon ain't fucking going fast enough for them to be thinking, "Oh, this is strange." It's just not not a chance no. unless there was like Hurricane fucking Katrina at the time, two hundred mile an hour winds <laughs> or whatever. Then even then, think about it as well. They're climbing to reach this. He's at twenty. The one pilot backed out at twenty two and a half thousand feet. The other pilot, it, it, everything clapped out. Obviously. He got that high, it all just went, no thanks, there's no oxygen up here anymore. 
Can't my, work. my engine's my, gone. And you're unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone unconscious, so we just spiral down to the floor. Or was he shot down by a UFO? Or was he put into a trance and just had to follow him? Or was everything just stopped by the UFO? Uh, that's, a, that's the thing. Did it shoot him down or did it stop his aircraft? It might have just gone, shut down everything like they do with the cars. Yeah. Because the fundamentals of the car engine and the aeroplane engine at those times were exactly the same. Yeah, 1948. Can you eject from from one of them? Can you bollocks? Well, you could. You can if you you're could. conscious. Yeah, if you were in a spin, not a chance. No. You imagine a G-force, you wouldn't have been able to fucking move. The G-force of a death spin mm. like that, you wouldn't be able to eject. And in them days, pretty much, and that's just all the propellers no, going that was around a, naturally. And what you're thinking of is the uh, the Stucker dive bombies yeah. made that noise. Yeah. They had <laughs> sirens on the wings to make it more terrifying as they came down. That was the Germans, yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, it would be a... There would be some noise, definitely, because just the, yeah. the, the wind onto the wings and things like that, obviously hit, hitting a couple of hundred mile an hour at terminal velocity, fucking... But you know, he's... This is forty eight. He's got at least th- he's got at least three years flying experience in the military because he was at D Day. Mm. So let's say he's got four or five years flying experience. At this point, he's twenty five. He's not a young pilot, you'd say. So, do you think he could have made that mistake, or all four of them simultaneously made that mistake, or three of them who went into the chase originally? The one said, "Nah, I'm not doing that." I think no. they were hypnotically following the lights. They were following something, definitely. And it, it wasn't no Venus, and it wasn't no air balloon. It was something that shouldn't have been there. Just think about the air balloon hypothesis. The radar picked it up initially, didn't it? Yeah. And, so, and eyewitnesses, wasn't and it? And eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses, radar. They were everything. mustered to... They were, they were they? sent out to it. They fucking got eyes on it and went, right, let's go. One went... Either his electronics started playing up because of the the interference kind of thing, which is maybe what caused the other problems on all the... Because every plane had a problem. Yeah. Every time. plane had a problem of some form. Ran out of oxygen. Well, oxygen, fuel. You might find by the time he landed, they looked in his fuel, it was still full. It was just a cock-up in the system. Just the same with the oxygen. He'd have had the oxygen tank in the back would have been fine but for whatever reason there was some kind of cock up in this system mm. and then the captain that fell to his death maybe he, he had full shutdown on it and his system yeah. went tits and that was it yeah it could be that couldn't it it could be think, worst case scenario I think them things are still doing oh P51 Mustang still doing five six hundred miles an hour back then yeah yeah alright so piston driven aircraft and he's up to 20,000 feet doing that speed or close to and he can't catch up with the weather balloon yeah it's not a chance not a chance can't be a weather balloon Mm -hmm. no that's the only thing at the time that they could it could have been if anything it would have been a weather balloon but then they'd have caught it they wouldn't have been identified yeah yeah exactly even if well it's clearly a weather balloon of some kind just not one I've seen before by the speed it's going radar and witnesses would have probably gone is that a weather balloon yeah (laughs) 
That's hmm. it. Yeah, it's yeah. That's a that's a definite big question mark on that one, isn't it? Yeah. Now, as plausible as the official statement allegedly was on Mantel's untimely passing, the general public took what happened with a massive air of suspicion. Details on the F-51's crash didn't add up, and the fact that the UFO was visible from other military bases and surrounded locales and roadways led many to believe it was part of a government cover-up. It won't be the first time, it won't be the last, will it? No. Well, it hasn't been the last, has it? Yep, absolutely true. Right, last one. Okay. Did you know there's a UFO sighting at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, which played a major role in reinvigorating the official... Air Force investigation on UFOs. This one's pivotal because it just. Ju- this is one of the ones that, that basically got them to to launch Blue Book. Um. 1951, September 10th. This is why a lot of these Air Force generals are like, why aren't we investigating this shit? Yeah. This is just buzzing our base. A radar demonstration was being conducted for a number of Army dignitaries when the radar technician who was operating equipment picked up an unknown low flying target moving faster than the automatic setting mode on the AN MPG-1 radar set could plot, and this would mean that it was flying more than the 700 miles per hour, which was right at the upper capability of jets at the time. Okay. A report of these sightings was submitted to the Air Force and found its way to the group responsible for investigating these events, then operating under the name of Project Grudge. Actually, it wasn't because Project Grudge had been shut down by this point. Yeah. Accounts of the pilot's sightings were leaked to local papers, which resulted in a high-level interest in the investigative process, and Project Blue Book was born in 1952. The results of the Project Grudge investigation concluded that Fort Monmouth sightings could be attributed to the Evans Signal Laboratory release of two balloons at 11.12 Eastern Standard Time on September 12th, which is during the time frame of the sightings. Tenth. Yes, sorry, tenth. Uh, the diameter of the balloons when they burst it was approximately 39 feet and the radar anon- anomaly, and I can't say that fucking word, mm-hmm. anomaly. Anonym- so it's just anomaly. Anomaly. There you go, you just said it. It trips you up every time. <laughs> it was attributed to user error. Yeah, okay. Weather balloons again. Weather balloons are convenient, aren't they? Yeah. How many people are knocking up these weather balloons? Crikey. Well, the Air Force would launch weather balloons every day because if you're the Air Force, you need to know what the weather's doing. Mm. But big flags, aren't they? Then you've got the ones that are socks. Yeah, but they want it's to know the what it's like up there. Yeah, it's the ones yeah. that want to go. You're flying up there, aren't you? And they also want to be a few hours ahead of the weather coming to you. Yeah. So you launch them and send them off that way. So they can say, right, there's shitty winds 60 miles over here. Yeah. Right, in four hours, we've got it. That kind of thing. And it? also remember there was the high classified stuff, the really high altitude weather balloons that were looking for Soviet nuclear tests. Mm trying to pick up on radiation levels, things like that, in the atmosphere. That would have all been top secret. And it was, that's what they, that's what they tried to explain there. Uh, Roswell with was Project Mogul, which was the high-altitude radar detecting balloons. Mm. We like, you think, like, the Battle of Los Angeles. That's a good movie, that, actually, you know? Yeah. I like that. You it's know, cheesy as shit at the end. It's so fucking cheesy at the end. The, the opening hour, mm. I think, is great. 
But you know the actual Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, that was like the movie. Mm. <laughs> so, know, yeah, the, when they find all the, the projectiles. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they said that. Well, in the end, they said, oh, it must have just been a weather balloon. They tried to use that as well, didn't they? In that, so, and it's like, well, if they if they fired off like millions of dollars worth of fucking ammunition <laughs> at a weather balloon, where the fuck was the weather balloon? Someone must have lost their fucking job for that, and why did no one lose their job for that? Like, that, that is... UFO. I don't know what. what to be you fair, if, it was the, if it was the weather balloon, then when, surely when it would have been sh- annihilated, shot to. Yeah, that was 1942. Well, that was like the Second World War. Well, Second World War happened. The Pearl Harbor happened in the December the previous. We've covered year. it, haven't we, in an episode? Yeah, we did when we did UFOs in wartime. Yeah. Um, so that was within the Second World War that happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1,400 shells they fired up, if I remember right. It was and they had shrapnel coming down on the streets and stuff like that yeah. from their projectiles. Cause These were big shells, though. These, yeah, These yeah, were big friends. shells. They were, and they, you know, they're proximity fuse, so they're going up and they're exploding, or they're timed to go up at certain, to certain heights yeah. and explode. So they must be getting a height reading from somewhere, usually radar at this point, or spotters or something. They're getting the information from somewhere. But it was a balloon, so... Mm. But where? Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got on Blue Book. And I think the 1950s was a fascinating time for UFO sightings. Although they were, they were playing around with a lot in the skies, weren't they, in the 50s? Yeah, yeah. Jets were just coming into their own. Yeah. And they're like, mm. I mean, they were experimenting with everything, weren't they? All oh, that God, captured yeah. German technology that they managed to get into the air. Have you seen, like, where they've, they've tried to make flying discs and things? Yeah, they? yeah, the Nazi UFOs, alleged Nazi UFOs. Those planes that took off upright, yeah, kind of like little space rocket. That's kind right. Of they had propellers on the on the front, so they took off vertically. Yeah, but the landing was the problem. They couldn't. How many pilots could do the landing? I but think that was why they were discontinued, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they had single-use rocket planes and everything. It was fucking crazy. Mm. I definitely think they carried it on, but in secret. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, but it'll just be like FBI. They literally will have a couple of people on it. Yeah, if you know the six percent. Of unexplained shit going on in your vicinity, then you're gonna you're gonna investigate, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Of course you are. Totally. You've got to. Yeah. Your air defence is supposedly second to none. You're the USA. They're the Russians who were, were competing with you, isn't there? But do we think these sightings are aliens? See, that's the thing, isn't it? I go with a yes. I'm gonna, I think this time period where we just we're, we're testing nuclear weapons. I think that's a big, like, high how are you to any surrounding civilizations. Yeah, definitely. But we're at that level now, and we need to be taken a bit more seriously, because we can destroy the planet, and therefore we can destroy their planet, should we choose to, or try to, or if it comes to a war or whatever, we can we can give as good as we get in that scenario. We've got planet-destroying capabilities. Yeah, we could nuke our own planet to stop them taking it over, or whatever, you know... Or we could hurt them with it. Maybe atomics are like the most powerful thing out there. Especially when you get the hydrogen bomb in like 52, 50, 52 to 55. Well, we know that nuclear fission isn't the most powerful, is it? It's nuclear fusion. No, oh, yeah, we, well, still. Well, fission is what they use in nuclear power plants. And bombs. Yeah, but fusion is also... Well, it was in stars. That Chinese, stars react, that Chinese reactor went round for 17 minutes this week. Mm. Hotter than the sun, it was. Hotter than the sun! 
Run the streets too much energy, doesn't it? Yeah. To produce those conditions. So at the moment, it's just not worth it. All right, then get the solar panels back out. <laughs> I was about to have a fucking arc reactor put nuclear, in my chest. But once you've conquered nuclear fission, and there's no reason to assume that eventually we can't conquer nuclear fusion, and then we will be a, That's a force to be reckoned with them. This put us on the step. Yeah. But we could still destroy the planet, so they, all of a sudden they, yeah. we, there's more of an interest in us. You just said it was the most powerful thing, I'm just saying that. Well, yeah, or well, maybe, you know, it's still going to hurt them if we let one off. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think... I've lost my train of thought completely where I was going with that. We've got the atom bomb, haven't we? Yeah. When we devised the quark bomb... The quark? The quark bomb. <laughs> it's what's lower than atoms, it's smaller than atoms, isn't it? Okay. Your atom is then it goes into quarks and then sub-quarks and... Oh, Jesus. Split them. And then you got the Higgs boson and that, haven't you? Split that. Yeah. Subatomic. Now, look, if you split the Higgs boson, would that be like a planet killer with one go? Perhaps. Yeah, I'd say so. If you could do that. I don't know. I don't know the science on that. No. Nah, the thing is, they closed the Blue Book, they still kept investigating, and they just kept it more hushed up because there was more and more sightings. Yeah. You started get the abductions creeping in in the 60s. But think also, think of the amount of people they must have pissed off. Because they can subvert the chain of command, these officers and, and, and agents, yeah. going to talk to these military personnel. They can tell a colonel to get out if they want to. Mm. Direct order of the president, basically. Investigate is crazy. So that's going to ruffle feathers. The generals are going to start, oh, you know what, I don't want these guys crawling over my base. I don't want that unwanted attention. Mm. But now they, they carried it on, they just kept it more secret. And I think, I don't know, because they've, they've had to come out and do it again. Yeah. Mm. I think they're covering it up. That's my theory. Anyone want to join me on that one? Yeah. Well, that, that was proven. Was um, it this year they, they released some of them... Oh, they were gonna release some of them FBI documents, and then they haven't, have they? And that now we're waiting again. And they released some stuff, but it was quite redacted. Yeah. And it wasn't as much as anyone thought. Hmm. I'm obviously on the fence, but <coughs> I'm leaning towards the fact that there are aliens out there and they're visiting us because it just takes one of these incidents to be true, and that's it, isn't it? Of the millions. What if it was Kelly Hopkinsville? Oh, okay, myself, it was that. It was fucking that one that turned out to be true. I'd top myself, no problem. Proper little Couldn't grace. live with the shame of it. <laughs> yes, I knew it. <laughs> it was a classic Greys incident, wasn't it, really? That just The little Greys. A more goblin-y. Mm. An owl-esque, yeah. Good I mean, owls, man. Claire? Well, I think we're in the middle of a, a, a what's called a... Disclosure. A slow disclosure. A soft yeah, disclosure. A letting us let it out slowly. We're better to deal with it now. We've had this stuff pumped out. It'll now. be redacted and then we'll we'll take a little bit of the reduction off and then they'll see that, you know, well, we have seen... Some people think it's all fake and it's all just designed to manipulate us into believing in a fake in, alien invasion so the New World Order can gain control of the world. Pro- Project Bluebeam? There you go. It could be that as well. It was just predicted by Werner von Braun. 
Guy that goes to the moon and former Nazi. He's not serious, a blue book. Is he? Uh, yeah, he's yeah. Von Braun. What's he doing that? He's testing missiles, isn't he? Rockets. Yeah. If any, if any listeners want to watch it, Blue, Project Blue Books it's a really good series worth a watch yeah, it really is it's like a 50s X-Files it's good it is good it's got a little finger out of Game of Thrones a little it? finger from Game of Thrones is brilliant in it he is really good in it he's not as creepy as he is in Game of Thrones so <laughs> <laughs> we sign off then yeah. yeah thanks for listening I've been Ben don't join the favourite don't join the cult and follow us on Facebook at Cut of the Brother Post of the Apocalypse SoundCloud have come the ball on the PTA. By Job, I think he's finally got it. Yeah. yeah. By Job, by Job, by Job, I think he's got it. Two weeks in a row. Three. Three. Um, Must be a lucky charm. Apocalypse Ball on YouTube. Hey. hey. I'm Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. I've been Claire. Keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. And I've been Pete. Aim high, shoot low.